Once again, good morning to y'all. Good to see y'all here again this morning. Today again, we're going to consider our uh, study of the book of Genesis. This time in chapter 17, we're going to read through the whole chapter. So when you find Genesis chapter 17, would you please stand for reading God's word? All right, Genesis chapter 17, beginning here in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be surely circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he had cir- was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Amen. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come again and. In the name of Jesus, Lord, looking to you for help. 
We pray, Lord, uh, open up our minds that we may understand this passage and uh, in its original intentions and in its applications for us. Lord, may we, through this testimony, may we be drawn into a closer, more loving, more trusting relationship with You. Understanding that You indeed are God Almighty and that You are working in our behalf, doing what we could never do. Forgive us for our frail efforts, the things that we attempt on our own, uh, ignoring Your promises, Your Word. And Lord, uh, may we truly grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of You, and grow in our love for You. And we're so thankful for Your love for us. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sometimes it's helpful, or really often, if not always helpful, for us to think about um, what a relationship with God really means, what it looks like. And we're seeing that a lot uh, as we move through this narrative on Abram, now, now called Abraham. Got a new name uh, in this passage today. And, uh, and that, of course, is uh, what we... What we learn, what we want to continue to learn in all of our Bible study, what it means to live the Christian life. We just put it in our modern context. Or what it means to live before Him. And so we're, we're seeing that again today. And of course, as always in the Scripture, what is being put before us is testimony that God is faithful that God does what He says He will do, that human efforts are futile and unnecessary <laughs> because God is able, not only without our help, but I would even say in spite of us, <clears throat> to bring His will to pass. God is able to bring His will to pass. He is all-powerful. So, this morning we're looking at this again, what it means to live before Him or living before the Lord. And that's what we're talking about, a life of trusting obedience to Almighty God. A life of trusting obedience. Not just a good song, trust and obey, but um, it's a way of describing the Christian life. And I think those are essentials. It's, it's not as though we just need to be, uh, we do need to be encouraged to trust and obey, but, it, but, it, but, I, but I just want to make it clear that those things are, are an essential part of Christian living. So it's not that we have a bunch of Christians out there who, who don't at all trust and obey, but certainly we, we constantly need to grow in those things. And the two go together, you know, they're inseparable. Obey, to obey God requires trusting Him. Trusting 
leads to obedience and so forth. So, that's what we're thinking about today in this passage. And we'll just walk through a few points here. Um, and here's kind of my, my summation, all right, my main point sentence. We must live out our lives before the Lord, always in trusting obedience to Him. Again, I'm just trying to be clear that that is the mandate. That is the Christian life. That is what God empowers us to do. We live out our lives before Him. There's a Latin phrase that is often used, quorum Deo, and that's, that's the idea behind it, before the face of God. Before the face of God. And, and that, that, to me, and, and um, I think for us in our minds, that creates such a, uh, a, a good picture of how we're to carry on daily living. Before the face of God. As though... We were in His presence doing what we do directly in His view. Now take away the as though, and you've got it, okay? Because that's exactly where we are. In His presence, in His view, every moment of every day. So the exhortation is to live accordingly. Now, first of all, who is the Him that we are to live before? You look at verse 1, God comes to Abram when he's 99 years old. And by the way, um, we're given a little bit of a, of a chronology there um, with Abram's age back in chapter 12 when he, when he leaves Haran. We're told he was 75. Genesis 12.4. And then um, when Hagar bore Ishmael, he was 86. So, and, and actually he, his, he was 75 when he left Haran, but he had left Ur of the Chaldees at the call of God prior to that. So, so we're talking a, a quarter century or more now since God originally called Abram out of his own country, away from his own kindred, to a place, as we're told in uh, Hebrews, he didn't even know where he was going, but he's going to a land of promise. God's promised him this land. So we're now a quarter century removed from that. And Abram is in the land now, but not only has he not, has it not been handed to him as an inheritance, but he doesn't even have a son. And the promise is that um, his seed, his offspring, would receive the inheritance. Now, I just mentioned all that to say, to, to, to kind of give us context, to, to say that um, God's timing is not our timing, as we well know, right? And 25 years for us is a long time. <laughs> and what happens over a period like that is, well, all kinds of, all kinds of thinking. Uh, you know, maybe I didn't understand God. Maybe I went the wrong direction. Maybe I, I didn't do something that I'm supposed to do. And so that's why you see all the, these scenarios, like Abraham, uh, while he's still called Abram, he comes up with the idea, um, Eleazar, my servant, will be my heir. I mean, that's obvious, right? Because I don't have 
a child, so obviously this is what's going to happen, and that'll work according to cultural um, customs. But no, it wasn't God's plan. And then Sarah decides, maybe the problem is me. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, God's going to give Abram a son. I'm in the way. I'm too old. Here's what we'll do. I'll give Abram my handmaid, Hagar, and he'll have a son by her. Again, acceptable according to cultural custom, but it wasn't God's plan. And the whole thing is, it's just not time yet. And though they didn't see it, and we often don't see it, the more time that goes by, the more glory God gets. Because they're getting older. And the whole scenario is becoming less and less likely from human perspective. And so, we're given, I think that's why we're given these, these ages. He was 75 when he left Haran. He's 86 when Ishmael is born. Now here we are 13 years later. Still... It looks like nothing has happened in terms of fulfilling the promise. God said He's going to have a son. God said He's going to have seed, offspring, innumerable, like the sand on the seashore, uncountable. That's all well and good, except He hasn't had the first one. Really, not in fulfillment of the promise. So, we're told... When he's 99, the Lord appeared to Abram. And you know what? A 99-year-old man with a 90-year-old wife expecting to have a child needs to hear from God. They need God to come on the scene and speak. Should maybe I mean I guess we could point fingers and say well they shouldn't need it he's spoken several times already and that's true true of us as well it was true of the disciples they saw miracle after miracle that Jesus did had to constantly be reminded we're just weak and and trusting is not something that comes natural to us because of our hardness of heart. But, and this is one of those but gods. I mean, in other words, the, you, well, th- their heart is hard. They're, they're, they're not trusting well. So I guess the whole thing is go- it's going to be a shipwreck, right? It's, it's just not going to happen. But no, God is faithful. God is faithful to His Word. God is faithful when we're not. And so God comes on the scene and says, I am God Almighty. That's the way, um, this is the name, El Shaddai. And it's usually translated something like that, Almighty. God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. God Almighty. And nobody knows for sure exactly what the term means, but... It, it does, I mean, just in, in t- taking it in context in the various places that it's used, it, it seems to indicate all-powerful, and that's why they translate it almighty, and, and often even has the, 
the, uh, the implication that I'm the one who's in charge of who conceives and who has children and, and so forth. Point is this. Here's another reminder from God that He is perfectly able to do what He has told them He would do. He is perfectly able to fulfill His promises. It's a reminder. You are serving. You're the one that you have followed to this foreign land. The one that you are serving is God Almighty. And He could say, couldn't He, to Abram and Sarah, I brought you into the land just as I said. I brought you out of Egypt when it was time to get out of there, when, when you know, you kind of messed things up and the whole thing was going sour. I delivered the kings of Sodom, uh, uh, the, the kings that had taken Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah, I delivered those kings into your hand, enabled you to rescue Lot and his family. I am God Almighty. Important to remember when we're, when we're thinking on the promises of God and when we're looking for their fulfillment. It is part of walking by faith rather than by sight. That is a scriptural concept, by the way, from 2 Corinthians 5-7, although it, it, it gets used in some wild ways. Uh, we don't deny reality, but in the midst of reality, we understand that there's another perspective different from ours. We understand that our perspective, our view of things is very limited and that God's is not. So we walk in the circumstances that we are in, not merely by sight, with our limited understanding, with our finite perspective, but we walk by faith, that is, trust. Trusting God Almighty who orchestrates the very events that we find ourselves in and and think uh, may somehow shipwreck God's best for us. Just consider passages like Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And just take that on its face because that's exactly what it means. He, He does according to His pleasure. He works things out as He pleases. John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, I think it's in chapter 1, he um, wisely goes through that right up front, the the sovereignty of God, and points out how that uh, that's why God is happy. (laughs) And think on that a while. In other words, He's never frustrated. He's never had a plan that was thwarted. He's never had to switch to plan B. He's never looked at a project and said, I wish I could have gotten that done. I ran out of resources. I ran out of time. 
somebody came along and messed the whole thing up. He's never had to do that. Because he does whatever he pleases and nobody is able to stop him. Nobody is able to thwart his plan. Nobody, no thing is able to frustrate him. Or how about Ephesians 1.11? He works all things according to the counsel of his own will. God determines all that God does and He determines what is pleasing to Him. He does His own pleasure. And by the way, Psalm 153 that I referred to earlier uh, doesn't say that He um, is able or something like that. It says He does. It's not just that He could theoretically, hypothetically, He could work all things according to His own pleasure. Um, he, he could do what He pleases because He's powerful enough to do that if He wanted to assert His power. No, it says He does what He pleases. Ephesians 1.11 says He does work all things according to the counsel of His own will. That's how He functions. You know, day to day, at least for us, I know God's in eternity, but we're in time, so we have to speak in those terms. Day to day, minute by minute, hour by hour, moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance, God is working things out as He pleases and according to His own will. Or what about Romans 8.28 that we quote so often? Shouldn't that bring comfort for us? And all of those passages should bring comfort for us if we believe God is good and if we trust Him, right? And then Romans 8.28 says He's working all things for our good, for the good of those who are called, the called and according to His purpose, those whom He loves and are the called according to His purpose. He's literally working, or to, to paraphrase uh, correctly, I think, He's orchestrating all things for the good of those He loves, those who are the called according to His purpose. God Almighty. And God Almighty gives Abram two imperatives here commands. And this is what he says. Walk before me and be blameless. Still in verse 1. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That I may make my covenant between me and you. Walk before me and be blameless. You, you could... Um, first, let me just say again, I think those two things, are again, are inseparable. But you could take them as different commands. Here's number one, walk before me. Here's number two, be blameless. And, of course, we do have other passages um, for that, don't we? Be holy as I am holy, Leviticus 11, and 45. And actually, that's said similarly, similarly several times. Uh, Leviticus 19.2, You shall be holy for the Lord your God. Am, uh, I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 20.26, 20, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. New Testament, Ephesians 1.4, 
He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Or Ephesians 5.27, holy and without blemish. Peter quotes from Leviticus 11.44 and 45, 1 Peter 1.15 and 16, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You could also take those two imperatives, walk before me, be blameless as um, not just mere sequential, but, but consequence, consequential. So you've got, in other words, it would be this idea, walk before me and the result will be you will be blameless. In fact, you can make that whole sentence there fit that, uh, that kind of flow of thought. Walk before me. The result will be that you're blameless so that, in other words, this results from that, so that I may make my covenant between me and you. Either way is good. I, th- I think that certainly... Like I said, they're, they're inseparable, so you can't separate them anyway and say, well, somebody might do one and not the other. No, the idea is, is as a follower of Almighty God, what we are called to is a, is a life of living before Him and being blameless. We're called out of sin. Picture that in, in uh, Abram's being called out of Ur or out of Egypt later. We're called out of sin, out of darkness, into light, into newness of life. A life of blamelessness before Him. Now, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but let me just say this, because in case you know, your mind's kind of reeling and you're thinking blamelessness, but here's, here's the thing. Well, in fact, I'll get more into that in here in a moment. Uh, in the conclusion. But remember already what we've seen with Abram is that he was justified before God by trusting Him, right? When God reiterated the promise and um, we were told Abraham believed God or Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he's counted as righteous or blameless uh, before the Lord. And that's back in chapter 15, verse 6. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous. So, I think that's the idea here. He Walk before me and you'll be blameless. Now, what does walk mean? It's, again, quorum Deo. It's the idea of living out our lives. Walk before me. Live out your life before the face of God. Understand that we're always in His presence. We're always in His view. And that we always need to trust God is, God is worthy of our trust, right? Always. God is worthy of our trust and deserving of our devotion. So, so we live out our lives, quorum Deo, before the face of God. And then, um, there's this covenant relationship thing. <laughs> really, 
It, it's, I, I say this thing because it's, it's a little bit foreign to our way of thinking nowadays in our culture. Even the, the remnants of it that we have, like marriage, is being destroyed in our day. So um, people just don't automatically think in terms of covenant. But what's going on here is God is, again, reestablishing, reaffirming His covenant with Abraham, reassuring Abram of this covenant relationship. In fact, he even goes so far as to change his name because he's got a new identity now. He's, he is identified with Yahweh, God Almighty, the, the God who is making these promises. And the promise, of course, is you're going to have seed innumerable and I'm going to give your seed the land. They're going to inherit the land. And so he calls him Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. Because, again, the promise is your seed is going to be innumerable. And I heard years ago, a long time ago, I was listening to one of these prosperity preachers. And uh, please don't do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at all um, advocating for that. This was many, many years ago. Um, but he, he did say something here that I think was right on, and uh, it stuck with me. He, he's, you know, God gave Abram this name that means father of a multitude of nations or father of many nations. So every time his name was used, he was reminded of that promise. So Sarah... Her name's changed too to Sarah. But Sarah said, Abraham, lunch is ready. <laughs> and what he's hearing is, hey, father of the multitude of nations, lunch is ready. So every time he hears his name, he's reminded of the promise. He's, he's got a new identity. And that's the way it ought to be with us. I mean, this name of Christian, Christ follower, disciple, has been, however, you know, there are variations, but... We, Put them on us. They are reminders for us that we have a new identity. Christian, little Christ, disciple, follower of Jesus Christ. And every time we hear those terms, it's a reminder for us that we are heirs to the promise. Right? Saved by the grace of God. Waiting for the revelation of the Son of God and eternal glory in His presence. Every time we hear those names called. Because we're in covenant relationship with God. By His grace. It wasn't our doing. And that's we had such a beautiful picture of that here too, by the way. Because Abraham didn't come up with all this. He didn't initiate any, any of it. Matter of fact, he did a pretty lousy job of trying to help it come to pass. God initiated it. God initiated this relationship and God is sustaining this relationship and God is going to bring this relationship to its completion. He's the author, the originator, and the finisher of our faith. Right? It's a special relationship, intimate relationship with God that is being established here or reaffirmed, I guess we could say here. We've, we've been talking about it, but it's been being reaffirmed here. Abram's being, being reassured, you are the heir to the promise. Your seed that hasn't even been born yet, heir to the promise. 
Because I am God Almighty and because I have put you in covenant relationship to me. And he gives him a mark as evidence of this new identity, as, as, a, as a reminder, as a seal, as a sign of the covenant. And that mark is circumcision. And he tells Abram, you've you got to be circumcised. Every male in your house has to be circumcised. And it's going to be a sign. Verse 11. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. In other words, it is, it is something, uh, a visible, in fact, reminder there of the intimate relationship between God and Abraham and between God and Abraham's offspring, his seed. So it's, it's an assurance And God has given us a sign as well. More than a sign. It's, I mean, it's a spiritual reality. But certainly a seal, a guarantee of the covenant. And it is the indwelling presence of His Spirit so that we, even inside of ourselves, cry out to God as Abba, Father, because of the spirit of adoption who lives within us. And He's marked us effectively. I mean, it's not just that we have some kind of internal knowing, and that's the way it gets communicated a lot of times. Some people will tell you, you know, in spite of, um, <laughs> in, in spite of perhaps no evidence of knowledge of Christ, they will say, yes, but I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. But, but, but we know truly, true knowledge, we know truly from the New Testament, don't we, that the indwelling of the Spirit comes with evidences that work out outwardly. In other words, God changes our life because we too, like Abram, have a new identity. We're now part of the body, the body of Christ, sons of God. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. His very Spirit living inside of us so that by His power we are changed. We've got a different view of things, a different perspective. And doesn't that just affect us down to the core? And, and by the way, I probably should make it clear again. I'm not talking about perfection here. We don't achieve that. Nobody's going to be perfect on this side of the grave. I mean, when we die and we go to glory, we'll be perfected. But we are changed nonetheless. And we have new desires. Because, frankly, we have a new God. Because we were our own God. And we lived to serve self. And now the Spirit of God turns our sights upward. And the Spirit of God imparts life to us, manifesting in things like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. We're 
changed and being changed because God has marked us. And one more thing, and, and all of these things, I mean, you may see some overlap here. All of these things go hand in hand. But one more thing here, and that is obedience. Obedience. Living before God Almighty, that is, living before the face of God, living out our lives before Him, requires obedience. It just does. <laughs> I know, in some sense, that may sound like I'm contradicting what I just said. Um, so let me try to make a distinction this way. We do not obey or achieve some level of obedience in order to be received into God's favor, be accepted by God. We do not obey in order to be accepted by Him. We obey because we've been accepted by Him. And everything I just said about His mark upon us, putting His very Spirit within us, This is the way that it works out. In other words, the Spirit of God creates in us a heart of obedience, a desire to obey Him. Again, certainly we don't, nobody achieves perfection there. We don't do that perfect, perfectly. And Christians every day um, of our lives, we, we find ourselves um, in circumstances, you know, disobeying and, and thinking, uh, why did I do that? You know, why, why did I do but we have this struggle precisely because we have a desire to live perfect obedience. Living out life before God Almighty requires obedience. Now, specifically, let's just jump from, from Abram's day. And by the way, you see that in, in this passage in verses 22 through 27. I mean, Abram, Abram, Abraham, he didn't get everything. In fact, he, isn't it? He burst out laughing. He fell on his face and laughed in verse 17. I mean, doesn't strike you as funny? I mean, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes you're reading the Bible and, and uh, the, you know, the candor uh, is, is just amazing. And uh, he just laughed. But, I mean... Of course, he's 99, she's 90, and he's thinking, wow, God is still insisting that this is going to happen. I mean, this is amazing, and in some ways amazingly funny, right? I, you know, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Well, the answer, yes. In fact, Abraham even, uh, Abraham even says in verse 18, God, uh, Oh God, oh that Ishmael might live before you. Isn't that, isn't that something? I mean, it's like, your way is not going to... I don't think it's going to happen, God. Accept my efforts. Come on! 
I mean, this will work. You, you're God. You can make this work. <laughs> and, God, and God says no. And I, the way I always hear that in my head when I'm reading it or, or think about reading it out loud is very strongly. No! God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. Very patiently, but it's like, again, I'm telling you, no! Your, your efforts are not going to play a part in this. The promise will be received according to my promise. Based on my promise. The, the inheritance will be received according to my promise. All right, so, Abraham obeys. Verses 22 through 27. He does what God says do. He goes, he, he circumcises all the males in his household, circumcised. He obeys God. And we too are called to a life of obedience. God is worthy of our trust and he is deserving of our full devotion. And when he speaks, our responsibility is to obey. Trust and obey. The reason I like that, uh, that um, those two terms so much, putting those together, and, and, and like in the song, is because it's scriptural, but uh, tr- trusting in this sense, we're talking about a, a loving trust, a loving submission, a loving trusting surrender. God, you know better. You are able. I'm not. <laughs> so I surrender. And then we just, we just obey. So, for example, in the Great Commission, Jesus tells His disciples, go and make, make disciples. That's followers, right? Learners. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, just in the, in the, in the Great Commission, that's kind of our motto, our banner for missions, right? But even in that, he puts obedience as an essential part of it. Go and make disciples, teaching them to fill out a card and say a prayer. No, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So the implication is, you, you eleven... Observe all that I've commanded you and go to all nations and teach them how to do that same thing. So, living out our lives before God Almighty on a daily basis requires surrendering our own will and living according to His God, listen, God has covenanted with us through the life and death 
of Jesus. He sent His Son into the world to save sinners. He sent His Son into the world to live the righteousness that you and I could not fulfill. He fulfilled it. And to die a cruel death to pay for our sins. On the cross, He bore the punishment for the sins of all those who trust in Him. We are made holy or righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, right? Therefore, being justified, made righteous through faith in Christ. And we've, again, talked about that here, because the same way Abraham was justified. And we are called to holy living. Be holy, for I'm holy. We saw that in the Old Testament. We saw that in the New Testament. Another way of talking about living out our lives before His faith. Living obedience. And we receive the promised inheritance through the work of Jesus. It's not through our own work, but through His work. He secures the inheritance, and we share in it because we're His. He's the seed. Galatians 3, He's the seed to whom the promise was made. And, in fact, Paul goes on to say in Galatians 3 that if you're in Christ, those of us who are in Christ, we are seed of Abraham. We're the offspring who receive the promises. In fact, He is our inheritance. Jesus is our inheritance. We shall be with Him forever and shall be His people, and He shall be our God. That is what God promises to Abraham. My covenant is with you and with your seed. I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with them. And they will be my people. I will be their God. Verse, that's Genesis 17, verse 8. I will be their God. That's the inheritance. That's reiterated all the way through the Bible. You get to Revelation 21 and 22. You see the fulfillment. God in the midst of His people. We are forever His people. He is our God. In the meantime, we are to live in light of all that. Live before Him. Live out your life in trusting obedience to Almighty God. How do we do that? Through trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please? We'll dismiss <clears throat> with, a, with a word of prayer. Father, we do, again, come to You today in the name of Jesus. We do thank You, Father, for the promise of eternal life that Jesus has secured for us who believe. Lord, we are thankful that none of these things rest on our own achievements, our own merit. You sent Your Son to pay the penalty for our sins to achieve the righteousness that we could not achieve. You send Your Spirit to live within us, to enable us, 
to live lives of holiness in this present age and to assure us of the life to come. So, Father, we thank You that You are indeed God Almighty and that nothing, not even the salvation of a wretched wretched sinner, nothing shall be impossible for You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.